Thank you to our praise band. Would you find in the Old Testament, find a Bible or your smartphone or some Bibles underneath the pew, underneath the chairs there, 1 Kings chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 24. 1 Kings chapter 12. You want to keep your Bibles open. We'll probably be looking at some other verses around that passage and a little bit further in there as well. But we're glad to see you today. It is one of my favorite Sundays. It is uh, Parkway Serve Sunday. I wear get to wear my work boots on that Sunday. I even threw some dirt on it, so you might think that I did some work with uh, work boots as well. Actually, in the first service, they asked me, when they saw how I was dressed, they asked me if I was trying out for the praise band for the second service. But uh, actually, they look pretty well-dressed today. But we're glad you're here, and you can be a part of Parkway Service, whether you have planned to be uh, or not. We have uh, plenty of uh, box lunches uh, to go around, and uh, you'll see there's an insert there. Six things that you can be involved in. Some are outside, some are inside. One or two are here. Most are somewhere in the community. We're glad to have Parkway serves. A couple hours of serving that we do. We pray that this is not the only time that we serve, but we pray it's representative of the fact that we are here so that we might serve the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the community in which we live and share God's love wherever we go. So we're glad you're here today to be a part of it. We welcome you to Parkway. Uh, we invite you. This is actually, I guess, our third year of what we're calling our uh, 10-year journey as we're making our way through preaching of God's Word, preaching through of it as it is written that we're going through. Understand not every Sunday, certainly not every chapter and every verse. There's no way we could, I could tell every story in the Bible in 10 years. There's more uh, than we could tell, but we're going to certainly continue to work through uh, the Bible so that we might be able to understand more of the Lord Jesus. We believe He reveals Himself more to us every time we come together and every time we're here together as well as every day that He wants to reveal to you. So you're invited to join with us in our journey and your personal journey as we do life together as the Lord works in and through you and me to accomplish His purpose. We understand that all the Bible is important and for our purpose, we'll continue to find the threads that point to Jesus and give us the spiritual tools that we need not only to survive, but to be able to thrive and to be useful in God's kingdom as well in the hands of an almighty God. Now, let's admit that outside the stories of David and Solomon, that we are approaching some of those stories that are not quite as well known, maybe not read quite as often. And while I find great pleasure in reading and then making our practical application from the great uh, well-known stories of the Bible, I also love to tell about the lesser-known stories which are still important either to tell you something new or maybe to remind you something that you may have forgotten. And I'm excited to tell you about this lesson today. There will be some lessons as we continue to look through, not only about the kings, but particularly we're going to be talking about Elijah. We may have kind of a series within a series as we look at the Elijah and other prophets that are talked about in here and where they fit into the story as well. So to catch you up today. In case you have forgotten or maybe weren't here last week or maybe both, Solomon, it seems, did not finish well. His many foreign wives caused him to stop worshiping Yahweh, the God of Israel, but instead to worship other gods, small g. And tragically, many in the nation had followed as well what he was doing. God tells Solomon he would tear most of the nation out of his hand and he would give it to another. Now, this would not happen during his reign or in his lifetime, but in his son's reign as king. So I want you to be able to be sure to hang in there with us today. You give it effort, and I will too as well, but we want you to know the players in the story. There's Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam, uh, he is uh, Solomon's son, next king of Israel. He became only the king of the tribe of Judah. And then there's Jeroboam, Solomon's servant. He uh, became uh, king of the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Most people hear the names in the Bible, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. They think they're the Boam twins or some such. But you see, they're not really related or, of course, related all of them Israelites. But Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Jeroboam is Solomon's servant. You might remember the promise of David, the covenant that was made with David, that the Lord made, that there would always be a descendant of David who would reign. And it would continue to be so. There would be one that would reign over the tribe of Judah until the exile. And part of the covenant, of course, was the fact that there, that there would be no end to his reign. Meaning, there would be no end to the one that was fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who is the son of David, greater than David, king of all kings. There's a lesser known prophet we're going to mention a couple of times. Ahijah is his name. Ahijah, he is God's prophet. Tore, actually, he tore his own robe. That's my mistake. It says tore Jeroboam's new robe into 12 pieces in a dramatic fashion. We'll talk about here in just a moment. But when Solomon was told by God's prophet... Ahijah, that Jeroboam would rule over the ten northern tribes of Israel, Solomon put a contract out on Jeroboam's head. In other words, he tried to kill Jeroboam. Uh, he was not successful in that. In fact, he was trying to thwart God's way. You would think that after being confronted by God's prophet, you would think the king of Israel would have repented or at least felt sorry or done something different. But instead, he tries to even stop God's plan of Jeroboam becoming king. But Jeroboam eventually fled to Egypt until Solomon died. But not before being confronted by God's prophet Ahijah and telling him in a very dramatic way that he would rule over Israel. One day while Jeroboam was walking in the fields, God's prophet Ahijah confronted Jeroboam. And the prophet took off his new robe. 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 29 through 32 tells us that. 1 Kings chapter 11 Verse 29 and following, it says, And at that time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Elijah, Ahijah, excuse me, had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes. Verse 32 says, But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Now, some of you that are mathematicians, it says that there are 12 pieces of, ro of robe representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But when he hands them out, he gives... Ten to Jeroboam and says Rehoboam's going to get one. Well, by this time, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, had actually been taken over by Judah for the most part. And from chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, onward in the Old Testament, almost always when they talk about Israel, they're going to talk about, be talking about the ten northern tribes. And when they talk about Judah, they'll be talking about the tribe, one tribe of Judah or Judah and Benjamin. Israel would no longer be thought of as a unified people. I want you to see today the tragedy of what happens when God's people are in disharmony or disunity and what we can do to avoid it. Now, we'll look at more details in just a moment, but when King Solomon dies, 
His son Rehoboam is king over all of Israel for a short period of time. And Jeroboam, who's fled to Egypt, comes back to Israel after the death of Solomon. The one who wanted to kill him is now dead, so he comes back and feels safe to be able to do that. And then Jeroboam leads the people, leads a delegation to come and talk to King Rehoboam about the taxes and about the hard labor. You see, Solomon built the great temple, built many other things, had these great cities that had been put together and had all this wealth. But in order to maintain all of that, he had to increase all taxes and had to have labor laws that were taking place. Boy, some of that does sound familiar, does it? But here's Jeroboam, and he's bringing the people to be able to ask that Rehoboam might be able to relieve some of the taxes and some of the forced labor that was taking place. Well, uh, we find that Rehoboam said, give us three days and he would come back. If you know the story at all, you know that uh, Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who were Solomon's advisors and he took counsel with the younger men whom he had grown up with. The older men told him that it would be good to relief, give relief for the taxes and the forced labor. The younger men and said, uh, you need to make things even harder than your father did. Well, if you know the story, you know who he listened to. He listened to the young men and they was ready to demand even more. Once this got out to the press or made it to Facebook or Twitter or however people got news out in that day, then came the biggest division in the history of God's people. Now we've made it to our text today. 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 16 through 24. It says this, verse 16, When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was a taskmaster, over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly, made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah, tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man returned his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. The narrative that we are reading takes place in more than one chapter, but the reasons these verses are our particular text today, because these events become noteworthy in the Old Testament. They'll be talked about frequently about Israel and about Judah and about the split or the division that has taken place in these very chapters right here. You can put your finger on it. From now on, there'll be division. From now on, whenever somebody says Israel, they'll think about the 10 northern tribes and the split. When somebody says Judah, they'll think about the house of David that was only over the house of Judah. May it not be so for us. When somebody says Christian, or when somebody says church, when somebody even talks about denominations or maybe even particularly Parkway Baptist Church or a follower of Jesus, may it not be that they automatically think about factions or divisions among God's people. 
Also in these days in which we have opportunity to be alive and to witness the things that are happening in our world today, some of those things that are happening very close to home, or even those things happening in your world and mine, can I tell you that it's time to declare the time for unity is now. Here are some observations from our passage today, the story. I know we had kind of a long introduction to get to the place, but all, if you'll hang with me here, I think what we're going to find is some understandings that will help us in order to be able to maintain and even to increase the unity that we have in Christ. And one of those things is that we can experience uncommon unity by serving one another. By serving one another. I've talked about a couple of things before. We talked a lot about David in the past. I've talked about a couple of things that before made David unique among the kings of Israel. One of those things that, well, we know David was not perfect. He repented of his sins. He when confronted with his sins, he was always ready to turn from the sins and to turn from God. Most of the kings did not do that, that followed David. His son Solomon did not, Rehoboam did not, and other kings. The second thing that made David unique among the kings was the fact that he never worshipped other gods or idols. While we find that many of the other kings, most of the kings of Israel and Judah, we find them worshiping other gods and we find them worshiping idols. But let me add a third one to that. And, and truly, I think this had to do with David being called a man after his own heart, after God's own heart. He was the servant king. He truly lived to serve the people. This was to be the difference between the kings of Israel and all other kings on the earth. I mean, most of the time, somebody that is a king, they're a king and they're, they're kind of a dictator king. The people exist in order to serve the king. But in the case of Israel, it was always God's intention that the king existed to serve the people. Uh, David came as close to any king of Israel, maybe more so than any other earthly king there was on earth. Solomon, his son, did not. Rehoboam did not. His grandson, they did not follow God, David's example. Look at 1 Kings chapter 12. Keep your Bibles open. Verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, And they sent and called him and Jeroboam, and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam told them that he'd come back in three days. Once they asked that question, would you give us a little bit of relief from the taxes and the labor? I'm always looking for what people did right in the Bible, even if maybe they weren't the best example. Rehoboam he did seek counsel. That the Bible tells us, Proverbs often will talk about receiving counsel from others and even human counsel as well. And, uh, although it looked like for Rehoboam's part, he was more looking for someone to agree with him rather than genuine wisdom. And human advice, even when good advice, it does not take the place of going and pursuing God and giving God opportunity to give the direction that he wants to give you. He did go to the elders his father's counselors, and he got their advice. Let's look a little more particularly at what they said in verse 7. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 7. It says here, And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people, David, and serve them, speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Notice the word serve used three times in that very verse. No wonder it's something that we need to, to learn about. This does seem like good advice in light of David's example. It's certainly good advice in light of the example that we now have from Jesus. We might remember in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, 
Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus, of course, was the great servant king, the example for all of us to follow. In fact, Jesus said on more than one occasion, the greatest among you shall be your servant. But even Jesus with their being their example and even hearing the teachings of Jesus over and over again, still we find the disciples, they often argued about who was the greatest among them. Not necessarily arguing about who was the greatest servant. And we still today, we're deciding if we want to see people for what they can do for us or how we feel about those people rather than seeing and deciding that we will serve others, particularly in the church, even when they don't deserve it. After all, Jesus came as a servant when we did not deserve it. But that's the difference between a follower of Jesus and what being a follower of Jesus makes. With Christ on the throne of our heart, he helps us to take our focus off of self. I love what Paul wrote toward the end of Romans chapter 12. He says, do, outdo one another in showing honor. Would you not agree that serving one another, particularly the church, is biblical and go a long way in achieving uncommon unity among believers? Well, we can also experience uncommon unity by a gentle spirit and by humility. By a gentle spirit and by humility. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, along with it comes a spirit of humility. We don't see a lot of humility in this particular story. Listen to the counsel of the younger men when Rehoboam came and asked for their counsel. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Verse 8 says, But he, he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him, took counsel with the young men who'd grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke of your father that your father put upon us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten us for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. Well, what an interesting way to put it here. He was saying, He say, Listen, you think that my father had a heavy hand. He says, wait till you discover my hand that is going to be upon you. You know, uh, this kind of advice, it could only sound good to somebody that was arrogant. Let me, does this story remind you of any other story in the Old Testament? Maybe, maybe the story of Exodus when the uh, Israelites were slaves in Egypt and when they complained about the heavy labor or when Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh caused more labor, said make bricks without straw. There'll be other elements of this story, I think, that remind you of the Exodus. But would you think that the king of God's people wouldn't want to be anything like the Pharaoh of Egypt? You'd also think that followers of Christ would not be want to be like people who are only looking out for themselves or to promote themselves. You might remember that Moses is called the meekest man who ever lived. Meek not meaning weak, but power under control. It is, he was an example of humility. Like Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived until Jesus. Moses may have been the meekest man who ever lived until Jesus. Here we have Jesus, our example of humility and gentleness. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and he talked about unity and how it could be achieved. Notice Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He said, I want you to have unity. 
and then verse 3 and following, this is how you do it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In the very next verse, verse 5 says, in other words, have the mind of Christ. I heard uh, someone in Africa talking about, someone who grew up in Africa, and they were talking about their language and how it was a more picturesque language. And they were giving an example. He said, for instance, my father always told me, and he said it in his African language, I think it was Nigerian, I'll not try to say it. And he said, this phrase means, hang around people whose hearts fall to the ground. Meaning, hang around humble people. Well, it's a pretty good picture of humility, perhaps a heart that falls to the ground. It certainly does not speak of arrogance. In fact, it's a pretty good picture of what Jesus Christ did for us, the one who was on the throne of heaven. He fell to the ground. He came to earth. In fact, not only came to earth and lived amongst us, but he died. He was put into the ground. He was buried and he rose again. Yeah, I think that definition of humility a heart that falls to the ground is pretty helpful. You who are followers of Jesus, you have the power of Christ who is living in you. We're told that we have the riches of heaven at our fingertips. We understand that we're now called the royal priesthood, yet that does not lead us to arrogance. In fact, we understand that it's only because of Jesus instead that should lead us to, instead to the humility and gentleness that we're able to conduct ourselves, which leads to this. We can experience un common unity by showing kindness and being tender-hearted. By showing kindness and being tender-hearted. This, uh, this might actually remind you of that New Testament verse, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So unity is about how we treat one another. So, so hopefully you see how these kind of build upon one another. If we have a servant's heart, surely that will lead us to humility. And if we have humility, surely that will lead us to kindness and lead us to how our actions and what we do and what we think. Uh, uh, first, look at 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. By the way, this is not what the king did. Kindness does not show up. 1 Kings 12 and verse 13 says this. It says, and the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I'll add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. Now, whether the king actually ever whipped the people of Israel or it was used at a, as a metaphor in reference to the taxes into the forced labor, uh, either way, that was heavy. He said, you think that's bad? He said, it's going to sting. Maybe sting like a scorpion. Now, some Bible students actually believe that the scorpion may refer to another kind of whip that maybe had metal or rocks on the end that it was going to be even uh, much worse as well. But either way, the picture is clear. When we read about the nation of Israel, we talk about taxes and we talk about labor laws, we probably cannot help but think about our own leaders in our own country or maybe even other countries as well. But truly the impact or the parallel here is not to this country or to any other country, but it is to the church. And it is to application is about you and me, our part in this. Now there are a lot of things happening in our world today that we have little or no control. 
we understand as a church and disciples of Jesus, we're to be the salt and the light of the world. And it may be true, more difficulties and the tougher the times that we need to be even more determined that we're going to be God's ambassadors right where we are. We want to let, allow the light of Jesus to come shining through the darkness. And get this. A little bit of kindness goes a long way. But consider a lot of kindness by a lot of God's people as we continue to seek to represent Christ and to serve Him together. What a difference, certainly, that that can make. And should there be division that begins to creep in in the church, in your home, among believers, wherever it may be, Solomon actually reminded us in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, a gentle or a soft answer turns away wrath. A gentle or soft answer certainly can make a difference, the things we say and even the things we do. Or how about this? Who knows that your gentle words might actually extinguish the fire in your own heart? That's Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. Proverbs 15 and verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Pour out folly. Well, also we can experience uncommon unity by unity in diversity. By unity in diversity. Outside the church, unity is often accomplished by uniformity. Let's get people in like us. Let's get people that look like us, that talk like us. Let's get people in that uh, have the same kind of social, political, and uh, economic status or views. But that's not God's church. The story of the old men versus the young men giving advice, this is not necessarily just a lesson on listening to the elderly. Uh, although I do believe we ought to honor certainly our uh, older folks. I say that because I are one of you, or at least I'm getting really close as well. But the lesson has, there is division, there was division, there can be division, but what did Rehoboam do? Uh, in the, after the ten northern tribes said that they were declaring themselves a sovereign people and had nothing to do with the descendants of David or David's house. Well, Rehoboam did a couple of things. First, he tried to have forced labor, but the taskmaster that they sent in to continue to force them to be a part of the same uh, country, well, they stoned him. And then he tried to fight a civil war. But thank goodness he listened to the Lord said, you'll not fight against your relatives. It's tragedy upon tragedy when believers are at odds. Now I got to tell you, if you walked in here today and you're a guest today, or this is one of your first times here at the Parkway, you may think we picked this passage because we have some kind of bickering or something major going on or we're at odds. But I'm overjoyed to tell you today that that's not the case. We're far from perfect and we have plenty of room for growth and unity in many areas. But I thank the Lord every day to pastor this church with a clear vision of following the Lord's will and seeking out to reach people to grow and to know more people and to share, that the more people know Jesus and to share God's love with others. But this is what's next in our sermon plans, is what's needed. Maybe in preparation for what is to come. Maybe it's in standing together in the world that we live to let others know what we believe. And we are to demonstrate love to all kinds of people. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is, no, there is not male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Speaking of young and old in the church, we can learn from one another. Just about every growing church probably in our generation, probably at some time in the past or some time in the future, might face worship wars in their church, having to do with preference of music and what people like in worship and the kinds of music that they like, kind of worship they like. It's my prayer that for Parkway that that's all behind us. We understand and we have two services, two different services, but what unites us is not our form of worship or the kind of music that we like, but it is the praise that we sing. It is the prayers that we pray. It is what we proclaim that it's all about Jesus. It is about the one for whom we worship. We're not all the same. We're made up of one body with many different parts, many different uh, gifts, many different talents, many backgrounds, so many differences we could not name them all. Church, I got to tell you, what we do here as a church, whether it be on Sunday or go out and do mission, this should not work. We should not be able to move forward like we do. There's only one answer. Because Jesus, the Almighty God, Savior, deemed it so. And we are united in Him. Speaking of vision, the Bible actually gives us a vision of what it should look like, what we as a church should look like. One of those places is in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Where it says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lord, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You know, one reason I love to go on mission trips and maybe particularly to other countries and even around North America is because I love to watch other people worship. It may not be exactly what I'm used to, you understand, but I love to see other people worship even sometimes in languages I do not understand. I, you don't have to go, of course, to other countries to see that. I told the first service all they had to do was to come to the second service and they could see something different. <laughs> the last two that we talked about uncommon unity we're going to look at together. We can experience uncommon unity by doing God's will. We can experience uncommon unity by trusting God's promises. So far, the lessons that we've looked at, not counting these last two, they probably couldn't be good for any organization, any corporation, or any club. I mean, after all, everybody needs to serve in some way, regardless of what they're a part of. Everybody needs to be kind. It's good to be humble, of course, and diversity is a good thing, we probably would say. The course is on diversity in some organizations. But this biblical truth, these lessons really make the church unique because we're not striving for unity for unity's sakes. What makes Christianity unique is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. The Bible speaks the truth and is only adequate authority. There is no book like our Holy Bible. There is no authority beyond it. Jesus said in God's Word these fairly amazing words from Mark chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Mark chapter 10 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus said. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, if you're new to the Bible and you're reading this, you might think, that, doesn't that sound strange? I mean, isn't Jesus the Prince of Peace? But Jesus recognized truth often brings division particularly to those who do not believe or those who are not doing God's will or trusting God's promises. When division comes into the church that truly bring, uh, divides the people, it's usually because of one of these things. It's because of someone who is not believing the truth and therefore not doing God's will, or they're not continuing to believe and trust in God's promises. 
Why did the kingdom of Judah and Israel divide? We've talked about it here today. Many would say it was because Rehoboam followed bad advice, followed the young men's advice instead of the older men's advice. But that's not necessarily the answer. In fact, we read a moment ago to where when the Lord was speaking through the prophet uh, to Rehoboam, he said, this thing is from me. It actually began in the previous chapters when Solomon began to worship other gods. It was part of God's judgment. It was part of God's judgment. If unity was all that mattered, God would have overlooked the sins, would have overlooked the sins of Solomon, kept the people together, hoped that they did better somewhere along the way. But instead, we understand God is a holy God and he cannot overlook sin. And there would be more judgment to come, as we will see. Listen, judgment is sure. Judgment of God is certain. There's only one remedy, and that's repentance made available by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here's the truth. Judgment is assured, for we all have sinned. We all fall short. There's there's no one who is holy. No, not one, except Jesus. But by the grace of God, boy, thank goodness for all the big butts in the Bible. But by the grace, yeah, I really said it. But by the grace, but by God's grace, all who place their faith in Christ and repent of their sins will not face judgment because Jesus took your place in mind on the cross of Christ. And if you place your faith in Jesus, it will make you different even sometimes at odds with the rest of the world. But it should cause unity because of all, the, of all those who believe the truth and seek to do God's will. We understand because together we're on mission. It is the Great Commission. This is how we sometimes say it at Parkway. We're on mission to reach new people with new life and share with them the next steps found in Jesus. How about this idea about believing God's promises? You remember Jeroboam, he had his problems. He's now the king of the ten northern tribes. But he's got a dilemma because the temple's in Jerusalem in Judah. At least three times a year, they're all supposed to go. They're supposed to go worship in Jerusalem. So he's wondering what to do about this. So he makes up a new religion. Notice he makes up a new religion. We're going to read about it. Is everybody still with me? Hang with me. 12, 27. Chapter 12, verse 27, it says this. If the people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me, return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel, probably got bad counsel, a committee maybe, made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, pointing to the two golden calves, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> it, it not only reminds us of the calf that they had made in the wilderness, but he even talks about the calves but he went one better. He made two. Why would people worship a golden calf? Well, the worship of something else became convenient. It became convenient. Listen, for the last, now going on three years, one of the tragedies of the pandemic is that some who are very faithful to church, and I'm saying that they're not faithful to the Lord, but now it's become a little convenient. 
I mean, we can watch live stream. Don't have to even get dressed. You can come and that can be your worship. That can be your religion that you've watched church on television instead of coming to be a part of God's people. Don't misunderstand how thankful I am for our live stream, particularly for those who cannot come and for maybe for those who are outside the church who need to be drawn in. But those who are drawn in, the next step outside of a growing relationship with Jesus is to be involved somewhere with God's people. Be leery of a religion of convenience for what God desires from us is an all-inclusive relationship. May not always be easy, may not always be convenient, but the promise of God far outweighs any convenience. Jeroboam forgot God's promise. Back in chapter 11, when the prophet Ahijah, remember him? I put him on the board a minute ago. He came to him, listen to God's promise. Chapter 11, 1 Kings 11 and verse 38. He said to him, and if you will listen to all that I command you, the prophet's giving God's words, and you will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you, I'll build you a sure house as I built for David, and I'll give Israel to you, was the promise. He forgot. Or maybe he knew it, but he decided he wasn't going to trust in God's promise. Today's the day you need to decide. You're going to trust God's promise. The promise that whosoever will believe in him will not be put to shame. I believe. No matter what happens in this world... No matter what takes place, no matter what happens that I do not understand, no matter the heartache, no matter the disappointment or the tragedy, I know Jesus is the answer. and He is my solid rock. Do you know that Jesus prayed for unity? I don't mean he just prayed for unity of God's people. I mean, he prayed for this church. He prayed for unity in your life as well. Some of you know because for some of you, this is your Sunday school lesson today, but... John 17, verses 20 and following says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He went beyond praying just that we would have unity, but that our unity would cause others to know Jesus as well. Oh, you've got one or two more blanks there. The one is this. The unity of the body of Christ, the church, is essential. It is es this is not just a side issue. It is of supreme importance. It's not just a corporate issue. That This is something, you know, as a church, we sure need to work on. But how important it is because it is something that each one of us must work on individually. The answer is found in you. Every member submitting to Christ. See, every one of us have to decide if we're going to continue to uh, maintain, if we're going to continue to grow in our unity. Everybody has to decide that this is of supreme importance, that we're going to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus because even one not causes us to be weak in our unity. So I'm encouraging you for that very thing. Christian songwriter Blessing Offer wrote the song Brighter Day, sometimes on Christian radio as well. And uh, before I read the words to you, that uh, this was sung at the Covenant School in Nashville a couple of days before the tragic shooting took place. Here's just some of the words. I know there's going to be some brighter days.
I swear that love will find you in your pain. I feel it in me like the beating of life in my veins. I know there's going to be some brighter days. See, we're united around the message. And we carry that message that there's hope that is found in Jesus. There are brighter days. Not just out there, we just hope and have optimistic, but there are brighter days because of the victory that is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've come in here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or somebody watching live stream, if you don't know Christ, may it be our very unity, the thing that Jesus prayed about, that the unity that we have in Christ calls you to consider making Jesus your Savior and Lord. You can ask Him today. Ask Christ to save you. And the Bible is a promise. You can trust His promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Come repenting of your sin. Ask Christ to come in and to be your Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity that we have to proclaim our worship today. We thank You for that which unites us, the common bond that we share in Jesus. Father, we pray that we'll continue to grow in our unity, our love for one another. We know that we'll do that as we grow in our love for You. Father, help us to continue to pursue you together and to be on mission for you, to be ambassadors in this world. May we be able to shine a light in the darkness. We pray, Father, if there's someone here that does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that today might be the day of salvation. Today might be the day that they call upon you. And may it be the unity that we have in Christ, the oneness that we have in him, be the very thing that says, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. We lift these prayers. Know that you're going to continue to be at work in this service. It's in Christ's name we pray.